Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the summertime sleep-in service to everybody in the room. We're glad that you're here. My name is Grant. If I haven't met you, if you're watching online from a campsite or your back patio or a coffee shop somewhere, we're so glad that you're here with us as well. I was out in the community shopping last week, and someone walked up to me, and they said, Grant, when can we come back to church? And I wanted to say six months ago um, is when you can do that. So if you're sitting at home and are somehow under the impression that we are not here or open, we are. We have full kids programs at 9.30 and 11.15 on Sunday mornings. We haven't brought those back on Saturday night. But the best news for everybody is within the next couple of weeks, we will be bringing back coffee, which makes all of you really, really happy. Kind of a staple around here. We're glad to have you. That's awesome. Hey, last week I asked you to pray for two friends who needed a miracle, and then we prayed for each other in the miracles that we were looking for. I asked you to pray for our good friend and sister Lisa Barleen, who had been struggling. She was at Swedish Hospital and really, really battling for her life. And our friend Monty Mayberry from our small group, who was also battling with a heart condition. Here's the best news that I can tell you today. Last week we prayed that Lisa would wake up and that she would respond. She is walking, she is talking, she is laughing, she is praying, and God did like, incredible. And Bruce and Lisa, if you're watching right now, boy, we love you so much, and we are praying for you. As well, we got news that, news that Monty is doing fantastic. Antibiotics are working, the heart pump is working, he's up walking and talking and doing all that stuff, so... It's good news, and I just want to encourage you, if you're carrying a prayer burden with you today, at the end of the service, go to prayer.ctk.church. I mean, the, the only thing better than you praying for a miracle is when four or five hundred of your brothers and sisters pray for a miracle along with you. So I really want to encourage you to do that. So all of my grandparents were farmers. I remember my Grandpa Smith standing with his hands on his hips in northern Manitoba, looking over top of his wheat crop and muttering under his breath these words, those darn weeds. <laughs> Being a farmer meant you were at war with weeds all the time, every single summer. My mom was a weed warrior. She had a large vegetable garden where she would force her poor, unfortunate son to wage war with her against the weeds. And in that garden, I learned to hate weeds. My disdain for weeds continues to this day. Dandelions, thistles, portulaca, bull thistle, clover, carpet weed, cheatgrass, chickweed, evening primrose. Who thought that naming a weed something pretty like evening primrose would help it? Still a weed needs to die. All right, green foxtail, hairy bittergrass, lamb's quarters, horsetail. They're all the result of the fall of man and sin. And every time I think about weeds, I got two words for you. Weed killer. And I brought some. And because we're in Bellingham, it's organic and natural, just to make sure that we're all good, all right? Today we're going to talk about wheat, and we're going to talk about weeds. And we've got so much to cover today, I hope you're ready. We are going to move as quickly as we can. Get this in the back of your mind. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus is going to start telling stories. If you've got a Bible, you can turn there. If you'd like to go to info.ctk.church, the sermon notes are there for you. But this is the backdrop in Matthew 13. It says, Later that same day, Jesus left the house and sat beside the lake. A large crowd soon gathered around him, so he got into a boat. Then he sat there and taught as the people stood on the shore. 
He told many stories in the form of parables. So Jesus is on the edge of a lake, and some of you have traveled with me to Israel. You've been on the shore of that lake, but he's in a farming state of mind because he starts talking about soil and seeds and agriculture and farming, and then he launches into the parable for this weekend. This is known as the parable of the weeds. Some of your Bibles will say the parable of the wheat and the tares, T-A-R-E-S. I'll define that for you in just a moment, but here's the story. Here's another story Jesus told. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who planted good seed in his field. But that night, as the worker slept, his enemy came, planted weeds among the wheat, and then slipped away. Let's stop there for a moment. One of the messages, the kingdom principles of today, is some of us need to wake up. We need to wake up because there's an enemy at work, and we need to be aware of what it is that he's doing, and we'll talk about him in just a moment. Verse 26 when the crop began to grow and produce grain, the weeds also grew. The farmer's workers went to him and said, Sir, the field where you planted that good seed is full of weeds. Where did they come from? An enemy has done this, the farmer exclaimed. Should we pull out the weeds, they asked. No, he replied. You'll uproot the wheat if you do. Let both grow together until the harvest... Then I will tell the harvesters to sort out the weeds, tie them in bundles, and burn them, and to put the wheat in the barn. So Jesus tells a story about farming, about agriculture. There's some key notes we need to learn as we're going to move towards some key principles today. The first of the, the notes is this. There's three distinct seasons in the story. Planting, waiting, and harvesting. The parable gives us a glimpse of an entire growing season. And in this story, as we walk through it, time is going to be our friend. So let's just slow down just a little bit. Seeds will be planted, and then there's this required waiting time you, where you begin, begin to have to develop patience whether you want to, to or not. And then finally, after the waiting time, we get to this moment of harvest. So this story and this journey is going to take some time, so let's slow down a little bit as we look closer. Secondly, we see something that happens in the natural growth cycle that's not natural. The weeds in the story, they were an act of intentional sabotage. There was an enemy trying to ruin this farmer's field. Ruin his field, ruin his reputation, ruin his living. He was trying to ruin everything. There's an enemy at work, and it's important that we not only just acknowledge his presence, we need to understand what he's up to, and then we need to speak very forcefully against what he is doing. Third note, there's a reality we have to acknowledge. Wheat and weeds grow together. And in this story, they grow together with permission. That's going to become somewhat troubling for some of us in a few moments. Stick with me. One of the issues of the parable is that people stop reading at the end of the parable. In fact, this is one of the most misinterpreted parables in all of Scripture. Because people read the story and then they start wondering to themselves, okay, so, so what's the field? Like, is the field the world? Is it the church? Is it the people around me? Who are the weeds? Is it everybody around me? Am I one of the weeds? Who are the wheat? I mean, how does this go together? And if there are weeds in the field, why don't we just take some Roundup and take care of the problem? It's wonderful to ask the questions, but here's something we all need to know. If you spend your whole life asking the wrong questions, you're always going to get the wrong answers, right? People get all confused because at the end of the story, it appears Jesus is done. But if you look closer, he's not done yet. In fact, he shifts gears for a moment. He talks about mustard seeds and yeast. We'll come back to that in a moment. But then, I love the fact that this happens. Somebody actually has the courage to put their hand up and say, Hey, Jesus you know that story you told us about the weeds and the weeds and all that stuff? Can you explain it? I don't get it. I don't understand. 
And here's what's cool. Jesus doesn't shame him and say like, you know, seriously, you didn't get it? Come on, like, let's work with me here, people. No, no, no. He goes, oh yeah, okay, I'll explain it to you. I think we could all learn a lesson there. Very practical lesson in just a moment. I've been trying to learn how to do a better job of asking God questions. Here's what I'm learning. God is never bothered by my questions. And if I don't understand something, it's really good to ask for clarity. I mean, clarity that takes a little while is better than confusion that goes on forever. Agreed? Right? If you don't understand something around here, ask. And Grant, why do we do that? Grant, why don't we do that? Grant, why do we do this this way? Why do we do that that way? There's no such thing as a bad question. I want to encourage you to ask good questions. Without clarity, people are just confused. So somebody, one of the disciples, actually it says that most of them actually come together and say, Jesus, can you explain the parable? And then he does. Here's the parable of the weeds explained. Verse 36. Then leaving the crowds outside, Jesus went into the house. His disciples said, please explain to us the story of the weeds in the field. And Jesus replied, the son of man, which is a name Jesus used for himself. The son of man is the farmer who plants the good seed. The field is the world. And the good seed represents the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people who belong to the evil one. The enemy who planted the weeds among the wheat is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world, and the harvesters are the angels. Just as the weeds are sorted out and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the world. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will remove from his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. And the angels will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let's stop there for a second. People get really, really nervous when we start to talk about hell. Let me be perfectly clear. We're not afraid to talk about hell at Christ the King Community Church because God has created such a beautiful alternative to it. A beautiful alternative. Can I tell you our theology of hell with the deepest theological terms that I can include? Hell is hot, forever is a long time. Choose the alternative. That's our theology. Got it? Okay, Verse 43, Then the righteous will shine like the sun in their Father's kingdom. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. So let's test our understanding. Jesus just laid out the parable. He goes, you want to know exactly what it is? Here's a guy to go along with it. So the farmer is Jesus, right? And he sows good seed, the good seed of his kingdom, in the field of the world, and it grows. The field is the world. Now, when you hear the word the world, don't think about the globe, all right? The Greek word is cosmos. Okay, we pronounce it cosmos, but they would pronounce it cosmos. And the cosmos is the complete totality of the universe, both in the natural, everything that we see, and in the supernatural, everything we don't see. So he's saying this field is the world, and it's the world of the trees and the mountains and angels and demons. It's the world of the wheat and the weeds and the world of good and evil. And in the field, there's good seed and there's bad seed, and they're both growing. The third piece is the wheat and the people of God's kingdom. I'm looking at a wheat field right now. There's a wheat field on the other end of that camera. We are the wheat in the story, and I love this word picture. So I grew up in Manitoba. I was a Canadian kid, and I grew up in the middle of incredible wheat fields that go on as far as the eye can see. In harvest time, the wheat would actually turn a golden color, and the wind would come and blow it, and it literally looked like an ocean of gold. September and the first part of October in Manitoba are absolutely 
breathtaking. This will freak some of you out, but I grew up in the middle of the amber waves of grain in Canada, okay? I know that's difficult for some of you to reconcile, but it's true, okay? We're the wheat, the good grain. And the good grain is to grow and multiply, but as the story tells us, there's a problem in the field with the good planted seed. Weeds show up. And I would define, according to both sections of Scripture, that the weed is anything or anyone that opposes God's kingdom. Now here's where the story gets really, really interesting. And if you'll stick with me for some biblical fun facts, we're going to go into a place where if you look a little closer, the story just goes, all right? The Greek word for weed here is zizanion. And it's translated tear, T-A-R-E. That's why some of your Bibles say this is the parable of the wheat and the tares, okay? A tear in Palestine was a poisonous type of ryegrass. And here's what's interesting about a tear. It looks exactly like wheat until it comes to the final stage of maturation. It's identical. It looks just like wheat until it ripens. And when it ripens, the head of it turns jet black. And if you eat it, it will poison you. See, this weed masquerades as wheat until it reveals itself as a poisonous fake. Where in the world would the weed learn to act like that? From the enemy. You see, the Bible tells us that Satan masquerades around both as what? An angel of light and a lion. Just so we're clear, there's only one light of the world and only one lion of Judah, and his name's Jesus. In this story, he's the farmer. So don't let this freak you out, but you have an enemy. In the Bible, he's known as the devil or Satan. And I know, I know, I get it. Some people laugh and scoff at the thought that there's an enemy running around doing nefarious things. And they picture him in a red jumpsuit with a pitchfork and a bifurcated tail. And if that's your picture, yeah, I would be inclined to laugh along with you. But everybody stops laughing when we start talking about the existence of evil. If you need me to prove to you the existence of evil, open a newspaper. Check a newsreel. This is a hard truth, but it's true. The Bible teaches us that evil has an author that he was created, fell because of pride, and to this day is still trying to tempt and influence the wheat to become a weed. So just so we're clear, the existence of the kingdom of God is real and the existence of evil is real. We've got an enemy and he's actively trying to sabotage the good work of God and his people. And this is a call for some of us to wake up. So let's talk about what this enemy does because he was sowing back then, he's still sowing today. What does Satan sow? We could spend hours talking about the kinds of seed that Satan sows in the world, but let me just hit a few that have kind of bubbled to the top over the last 15 months in my experience. Satan loves to sow discord among the wheat. The devil thrives on the predictability of human behavior. And I'll tell you what, if our enemy can distract us with petty infighting and divisive issues, he wins every single time. If the enemy can lull us to sleep because we're exhausted from fighting over stuff that isn't worth fighting over, he wins every single time. Now, let's be clear. There are some things that are worth fighting over. The authority of Scripture, 
To me, that's worth fighting over. The deity of Jesus, fully God and fully man, that's worth fighting over. The transformation of a human soul through the work of Jesus, that's worth fighting over and that's worth fighting for. Somebody say amen. Okay? I mean, the transformation of people, that needs to be fought for. Listen to the warning from Mark 3.25. This is a word to the wise and a word to the wheat. If a house is divided against itself, that house can't stand. So we're clear. This house stands with Jesus. This house stands for Jesus. This house stands under Jesus. This stand, this house is part of the team of Jesus, period, end of sentence, no argument, drop the mic, we're done. Okay? But we're not done because I got a lot more to say. Okay, let's keep going. The enemy also sows seeds of discouragement. Anybody else experienced a little discouragement in the last 15 months, right? Enemy loves to discourage us with lies and frustration. He'll try to lie to you. He'll say that the wheat doesn't matter. The wheat's not making a difference. The wheat is losing the battle. That's why the Bible warns us in 1 Peter chapter 5, be alert and of sober mind. That's another way of saying, wake up. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Standing firm in the faith because you know the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kinds of suffering. The Bible actually tells us in this world you're going to have trouble. It comes with the package of the world. There's wheat here. There's also wheat here. You're going to experience trouble. In fact, Peter just said the whole family of God throughout the world is experiencing this. They're being targeted. But I want to remind you of something. Greater is he that is in you as a follower of God than he that is in the world. Oh, and by the way, even though the enemy keeps saying, I'm winning, you're losing, I'm winning, you're losing, I read the end of the book turns out really, really well for the kingdom of God's people. Really well. Okay? Now, it just said that everyone is going to experience this, but the same word of God also says that we're supposed to battle discouragement with encouragement. And how do you do that? It's by taking the root of both words, because what's the word in the center of encouragement and discouragement? It's the word courage. Deuteronomy 31.6, be strong. Courageous, Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you and he will never leave you nor forsake you. Let me say it again. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Here's the third one. He sows deception. Devil loves to lie to you. You know why? Because he's a liar. Listen to this character sketch from John 8, 44. Satan was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. There's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. What are some of the most common lies the enemy uses against us? Here's one that I hear in my brain all of the time. You're not good enough. How cool is it to, be, to say, ah, um, you're actually partially correct. I'm not good enough, but I know someone who is. I can't bring my own righteousness in front of you, but what's really cool is last week I learned about a parable where Jesus says that he gave me a custom-tailored set of righteous clothes that he originated and wrapped around my shoulders. So it, it, it's somewhat true. I'm not good enough, but my goodness is not what matters. His does. I'm not perfect, but he is. 
You know what I love about that? Some of us in this room, you need to start learning how to talk back to the devil. The Bible says if you resist him, he will flee from you. Yip, 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 yip. But we forget. Here's another common lie. You're a failure. You'll never succeed. Sin doesn't matter. It's not that big of a deal. Hey, as long as it only involves you, you aren't hurting anyone. How about this lie? God's going to help everyone, but not you. All lies. You know why? Because Satan's a liar. Last piece. He seeds duplicity. Satan loves to sow people in the world who claim to know and follow Jesus, but, but then their true color is revealed. Their duplicity, their, their hypocrisy shows up, and we all know what happens when that goes down, right? The world just has another excuse to go, see, there it is again. Another so-called Christian turned out to be a hypocrite. May we be a place where we are authentic with our struggles and authentic with our walk. Bible talked about this in Titus chapter 1 verse 16 it says they claim to know God but by their actions they deny him isn't that amazing they claim with their mouth to know God but how they live and how they act proves something completely different and here's Titus's conclusion they're detestable disobedient and unfit for anything good Let's flip that on its head. The only answer for duplicity is faithfulness. The only answer for darkness is light. The only answer for hypocrisy is the truth of Jesus. The only answer for weeds is more wheat. Let's keep going. So we've got the farmer, the field, the wheat, the weeds, the enemy, and finally, we've got the outcome. Thank God for the outcome. Verse 43 says, Then the righteous will shine like the sun in their father's kingdom. It's so important for us to be reminded and encouraged with these words. One day, the farmer is going to take care of the weeds, the enemy, and the evil, and he's going to take care of it because that's his job. That's his mission. Now, let me give you a couple of quick applications as we begin to wind this down. For some of you, this is going to be a little bit disconcerting. We're going to experience some tension here in a couple of minutes. Just stick with me. Application number one, don't react to the weeds. Respond with new seed. I want you to notice something in the story. Jesus doesn't tell the wheat to take care of the weeds. You know why that's disconcerting for some people? Because some of us, let's be honest, for the last 15 months, what have we been doing? There's weeds, there's weeds. They're creeping in all over the place. They're taking over the place. I mean, they're growing all over the place. They're choking us out one thing at a time. I mean, the weeds, the weeds, the weeds. Grant, when are you gonna preach against the weeds? You need to talk about the weeds. They're everywhere, they're everywhere, they're everywhere. That'll make you feel better, all right? Jesus doesn't tell the wheat to take care of the weeds. Taking care of the weeds is up to the farmer and his angels. Read the story. So if my job as part of the wheat is not to eradicate the weeds, then what's my job? The job of the wheat is to grow. The job of the wheat is to multiply and produce more seed. The job of the wheat is to surrender to the farmer. There's this beautiful scripture that says, unless a kernel of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. 
Then Jesus says, anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. I'm not talking about ignoring the weeds of sin in your own life. Different context, different story. Let's be clear. If there's a weed of sin in your soul today, you need to tear that thing out by the roots. It needs to go in an act of surrender. But in this story, Jesus is talking about the weeds of evil in the cosmos. Here's the deal. Some of you are so obsessed with pulling weeds, you've completely ignored planting seed. I thought two people would say amen to that. That's tough, right? Because we get that upside down all the time. Some of us are so obsessed with pulling weeds, we're completely ignoring the call of the farmer to plant seeds. I get requests for this all the time. Grant, you need to speak about this cause or this action or, or this evil. I mean, if I spent all of my time preaching against evil, I'd never have any time to talk about Jesus. Can we be clear? The answer to evil is Jesus. I think he should get most of our attention, right? Some of us, though, we've become completely obsessed with weeds. We're freaked out. They're everywhere. There are some weeds. Evil exists. Let me say it again. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Here's an interesting note. I talked to a master gardener this past week and they taught me something I did not know. Do you know when, what, in what moment the ground is most vulnerable to weeds? It's right after you just pulled one. I never knew that. She said, when you pull a weed out of the ground, you're actually tilling, cultivating the soil. Any remnant of that weed plant that falls into that hole or settles on that soil can germinate and become another weed. And they normally bring seven more friends along with them. I had no idea. She said, Grant, you want to know the best prevention for weeds? More seed. The right kind of seed. The answer to weeds in our culture and our county is more wheat. What would happen if we stopped freaking out about the weeds and we just started planting more seeds? In fact, Jesus actually told us when it comes to the world we live in, not our private world, that's a different matter, but in the world we live in, planting seed is more important than killing weeds. Why? Because killing weeds is his job. That's his work. Now I mentioned people miss the point of the parable because there's a little interruption. He tells the first part, and he takes a little rabbit trail, then he comes back with the interpretation. Do you know what Jesus slips in between these two sections? I just love what a genius God is. He talks about mustard seeds and yeast. He talks about a mustard seed. It's one of the smallest seeds known in the world. A mustard seed that goes into ground is a picture of this little tiny piece of faith. And if it goes into the ground, it goes through a growing process, which takes a long time. That tiny little mustard seed that you can put on the tip of your finger and lose very, very easily can grow into a tree over 60 feet tall. The growth potential is unbelievable. It multiplies. It grows. And then he talks about yeast. Here's what's interesting. In every other instance in the scripture where Jesus talks about yeast, he actually uses it as a negative picture of sin. 
He talks about how yeast activates it and it begins to permeate through the entire dough. Here is one place in Scripture, the only place that I know of, where Jesus paints a positive picture and he says, you put yeast inside of the dough and what happens? All the goodness just begins to rise. It begins to grow and spread. Now let's just be honest, growth doesn't just happen. It needs to be nurtured and cultivated. The conditions need to be right. We can't ignore it. We have to pay attention. But I just wonder how much more energy we would have to plant seed if we actually left the weed keeping to the farmer. Secondly, we need to discern between good and evil. According to the story, the way Jesus tells it, it can be difficult to tell the difference between weed and wheat, especially when you're dealing with a tear, a T-A-R-E, that's why the Bible says in 1 John 4, dear friends, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Again, this is an amazing encouragement for you to ask questions. If you ever think I'm telling you something that's not biblical, please speak up. Ask a question. Test every single spirit. God wants us to do that because we have to be able to determine between what's of God and what's not of God. I've boiled it down to this tiny little piece of truth over 30 plus years of being a pastor. How do I know if, if something, anything is of God? Well, here's what I know. If it produces fear, it's never God. If it produces faith, it always is. Let me say that again. If it produces fear, it's never God. If it produces faith, it is. Number three. Oh boy, don't fall in love with the wrong field. This world will beckon you and say, this is where it's at. You're going to find satisfaction here. You're going to sa find satisfaction by, by the things that you do and the stuff you accumulate. It's all going to feel so good until you get to the end of your life and then you realize none of it satisfies. I have never, I've been at the bedside of many, many people who've passed away. I've never had them ever ask for some of their stuff. You know who they want at their bedside? Their family or their friends. And it's even better when a whole bunch of wheat shows up. Because they know their loved one is walking from this kingdom into God's kingdom and that their last breath here is their first breath there. That's why you can actually have celebration when somebody that knows Jesus and was real wheat when they go home. You can celebrate because we don't grieve as those who have no hope because we know it's not goodbye. It's, we'll see you soon. First John 2, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. Once again, the enemy will lie to you. He'll tell you, no, you can find satisfaction in this world. And the truth is, he's a liar. Don't fall in love with the world, which leads us to the last piece. Never lose sight of the outcome. Boy, I love these final words. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in their father's kingdom. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Here's what we need to understand about this final outcome. Jesus will deal with his enemy. And in dealing with his enemy, he's going to deal with our enemy. The weeds will be exposed. They will receive judgment that they deserve. And the people of God will shine like the amber waves of grain for all of eternity. Growing up as a kid in Manitoba, there was this wonderful little moment right before the sun set every single evening in the fall as we were heading towards the harvest. And, and if you could get close to a wheat field, it was the most incredible thing. The light of the sun would bounce off of the amber golden color of the wheat and 
everything would turn this incredible color of gold for about 15 glorious minutes. At the end of the day, God would paint everything, the sky, the ground, everything perfectly gold. And I even remember as a kid thinking, if heaven looks anything like that, miss that. So as we get ready to bring this in for a landing, um, I've been watching an interesting growth experiment behind our building. Uh, I usually park on this side of the building when I come to the work, and there's a set of stairs, and if I go up on the second floor, my office is up there, so it's quick. I just park on the side of the building, run upstairs. A couple of months ago, I noticed underneath of the stairs, this, this little plant just kind of popped up right up against the building, and I thought, it's interesting and an interesting place for the plant to grow because there's not much light it's under a stair there's no rain or water that i know of and and it's actually a it's a rock bed underneath of it there's like no soil i had to admire the passion this little weed had for life because um it's just not a great place to grow but apparently apparently this little weed is very determined let me show you a picture of my weed from just a couple of weeks ago. It came right up here to the top of my chest. And just for the record, when I said my weed, I'm talking about a thistle, not the other kind, just so we're clear. All right? We got that? If you don't understand, ask a 12-year-old. They'll fill you in. Okay. All right. So talking thistles here. But every day, I, I would just watch this weed grow. I'd pull into the parking spot and kind of like just, ah, look at you still growing hmm. here's what was interesting I would acknowledge its presence ah the weed's still there but I did not get obsessed with him I didn't show up and go oh wow look at that weed there's a weed outside of Christ the King Community Church that weed's going to take over this entire building I wonder if anybody tried to touch that thing it looks really really thistly like someone could get really really hurt by that particular weed that thing that is a, that is a threat to me and my family I'm going to stand here and I'm going to go and get something because I'm going to take care of that thing all by myself because I can't have weeds around the church I mean after all this is the church of God right we, we have important holy good things to be doing here we haven't got any room for weeds or anything like that I mean this weed I mean wow look at that it's noon I haven't even got out of the parking lot it's noon because that weed keeps talking to me that that weed has a has a vocabulary and it's telling me all kinds of things about me right now and I don't want to think about that look at that the whole day's gone and all I did was look and talk to the weed now I pull in in the morning and go eh, weed and then I go upstairs and I would open the word of God so that the, the seed of God's goodness would go into my soul and we would plan and strategize and work on and, and write things that would encourage the wheat to grow and it was there for your encouragement and my encouragement because you're wheat and I'm wheat and, and for the love of God we're supposed to be prepping for the harvest. Came to work about a week ago and the weed was gone. Somebody just like Someone took care of it. The weed disappeared, and a few days later, <laughs> the wheat showed up again. And the wheat showed up again. Because there are a stubborn group of people in this community that are not just obsessed with weeds. They're actually consumed with the mission of God 
to plant seeds because the only answer in scripture to weeds is more wheat. So my question for you this week is what's your priority gonna be? You're gonna be obsessed and consumed with the fact that there's weeds in the world. Guess what? They're here. And Jesus said, I'll take care of them. It's not lost on me that there are weeds in the world, but I have an answer. I have an answer in a group of people who have surrendered their life fully and completely. They they understand that they are a kernel of wheat that can fall into the ground and die to themselves. And what happens is a new growth cycle begins and they begin to grow and multiply and believe it or not, even though the enemy lies to us, enough wheat can choke out any weed. One is of God, the other is is not. And we have a mission to fill that field out there with as much seed of the kingdom of God as we can. That's the story of Jesus, and I'm sticking with it. Would you pray with me? Father God, help us this week to acknowledge weeds, to root them out of our own life, but then to trust you and to go about our mission, planting seed. God, may we take your word seriously and may we be so encouraged again today that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We pray these things in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, amen. Amen. There are weekends when we...